Hello and welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green, and it is Palm Sunday, one of the high days of the um, church year, one of the most complicated days of the church year. It's complicated not only in terms of the way that we worship, but it's complicated in terms of the emotions that we experience in that worship service whenever we're able to have it again. Um, the, the way that we start in liturgical tradition, we start outside the church. And then we process in waving palm branches and singing a song that will be linked below. And it's all glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King. And so we sing that as we process into the church. And what we're doing is, is we're kind of putting ourselves in the shoes of the people who we read about shortly thereafter in Matthew's gospel this year, uh, the people who accompanied Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, they had strewn their cloaks and palm branches along the way. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey and the people are shouting, Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us. And so they're proclaiming him to be their king. They are coming into Jerusalem with him. This is, happens, begins in Bethpage, which is out very near where he had recently brought Lazarus back from the dead. And so the people who are coming in, they're coming into Jerusalem for Passover, the great festival that celebrates the redemption of the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're proclaiming him to be their king and they're asking him to save them as a king would save them. But the odd thing is Jesus is not riding on a horse as a conquering king. He's riding on a donkey, which was prophesied in Zechariah that their king would come into the city riding on a donkey. Makes it harder to recognize him. It, peace is the message here. It's not a conquering hero. It's not this, this um, scene of military triumph when Jesus comes in riding on the donkey and the people proclaim him and are crying out for him to be their king. These are people from outside of Jerusalem. They're people from all over the land and they're coming to Jerusalem remembering that great redemption, remembering this incredible work of God all the plagues, the miraculous things God did in order to deliver them from the slavery that they were in in Egypt. And as they come in, he, he's collected all these people along the way. And if you read the Gospels, what you'll find is on the way to Jerusalem, as he and the disciples come in, they join other pilgrims as they come in. And along the way, Jesus teaches and he does miraculous things. He heals people like blind Bartimaeus and restores his sight. And poor Bartimaeus hasn't seen, and he will now see the craziest scenes of his life. He'll see Jesus acclaimed as king by those outside the city. And then later in the week, he will see them shouting, crucify. And so in our worship, we come in with all glory, laud, and honor. We, we come in remembering that. And then later in the worship service, we read the entire Passion Gospel. I mean, it's like 80 verses or more that we read of everything from the arrest of Jesus all the way up to the crucifixion. And so you get this horrible emotional whiplash of, of joy and 
exultation as you enter the worship space. And then as you leave, there's this ringing death of Jesus on the cross. And so whatever you brought in is not what you took out. And it's a hard service. It's a hard service for multiple reasons. And as a pastor and a preacher, I it, it's like it, we had a kid going back years ago in a, in a church that we worked in in South Carolina. There was a, a child there that came into children's ministry, and that child had she she was autistic, and she would get sort of overloaded by the activity and the energy and the lights and everything that went on in the worship part of the children's service, and it. And it she didn't know what to do, and it was because there were too many things going on. And she didn't know what to focus on and how to orient herself for, for a preacher and should be for the worshiper too. Palm Sunday should feel exactly like that. You should leave there so confused emotionally and otherwise at what's just happened. Because the way we do it is, is that, that we come in singing all glory, laud, and honor. We are, we are putting Jesus on the throne. And yet when we read that Passion Gospel, we, the congregation, Join the shouts of crucify him. Those who have just welcomed him as king. Join the shouts of crucify him when that comes up in the gospel reading. It's a painful thing. It's like I said, it's an emotional, sensory, spiritual overload. You, you, you leave there having identified with those people who welcome him as king. And then you also leave there having all known that you did that. You've also join the shouts of crucifying. You've identified with both those people and, and all you can do is stand and think, how could I be that person? And then we realize we really are. We can sing hymns. We can praise him. We can give thanks in the tabernacle, we, or the, the church. We can give thanks on Facebook. We can give thanks on Twitter. We can give thanks in text messages with one another. And then at the same time, we sin against his cross. We sin against him. We reject his righteousness in our own lives. I do it all the time. And so I want to try and figure out what do you focus on in all this? Well, for me today, what I want to focus on is something that's that's part of, and it's, it's the whole of, in some ways, the message of Palm Sunday, although it's not as obvious. It, it's found actually in the second reading that we do, a reading from Philippians, but it's bound up in what we call the collect of the day, the prayer of the day. I'll read that for you. Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so what we're doing is we are submitting ourselves with him. We're recognizing the reality of I'm on overload here. I don't know where to fix my attention. So assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you've given us life in immortality. Help us to focus on the right things. Help us to focus on, on the things that you did that gave us life. And, and it's not just coming into the city riding on a donkey. It's going out of the city, carrying a cross on which an inscription will be placed. And that inscription says, King of the Jews.
So he came in being hailed as a king, riding on a donkey with throngs of people with him. He goes out being jeered, carrying a cross that will bear the inscription, King of the Jews. This is what it looks like to go from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. Yes, he's proclaimed as king. No less on Good Friday than he was on Palm Sunday. But on Sunday, it was a hopeful, joyous proclamation. And on Good Friday, the proclamation is mockery. So what is it that pulls all of that together? Well, let me read Philippians 2, 5 to 11 to you. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ, yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, again, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul walks us through Jesus's transition. He was in the form of God, in the likeness, the image of God. He was very God. But in spite of that, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, held onto for dear life. No, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant by choice. So he was in the form of God, but he chose to lay that aside, to take the form of a servant. And nowhere more in his life did he play that out than at the Last Supper when he stripped his garments and got down and washed the feet of his disciples. And he was then, even though he was in the form of God, he was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, form of God, form of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. I mean, we could all have joined him in his sacrifice of not coming in as a conquering hero on Palm Sunday, but coming in peace on a donkey. Not many of us could join him in the sacrifice that he makes on Good Friday. But both those things are connected with one word, and that's humility. We can think humility is all kinds of different things, but, but mostly what humility has to do with is not counting yourself as most important. It's counting others as more important, being willing to lay down whatever you have in order to serve other people. One of the criticisms that, that you will frequently hear in the church of Judaism is it's too much a works-based thing. Do you know it's exactly the opposite criticism that Jews have towards Christianity? That it's not works at all? It's all passive. There's no active requirement to extend yourself on behalf of others. It's a misunderstanding, certainly, but our misunderstanding of Judaism is no less profound. But we come by those things kind of naturally by observation. The Jews have come to that observation, truth about Christianity, by watching Christians. 
Now, that's not to say there's not a lot of work done in the name of Jesus. Samaritan's Purse right now is set up on Central Park to handle patients there. They're not just set up there, though. They're set up all over the world to help with this COVID crisis. But if you watch individual Christians sometimes, you can say the church doesn't do all that much for others. Even the church that we served before, the criticism in the community among other Christians was is that we, our response when we were asked to join in community stuff was, we'll pray about that. That was our reputation in the, in the Christian community. That's not a good reputation to have. But humility is just setting up others as a greater concern than yourself. To kind of what Jesus encouraged us to do. And what the incarnation and Philippians 2 tell us is the most important thing. The thing that should bring us to tears to think that Jesus laid down equality with God. And even though he was in the form of God, he chose to take on the form of man. From eternal to at the mercy of his own creation. And so what is that? It's humility. And it's this, this divine condescension is the term that we sometimes use for that. And it's Jesus' choice to take on the form of man and lay down his life. The Father doesn't kill him. He subjects himself willingly as a sacrifice. There are models for this all through the Old Testament, right? I mean, it's Abraham taking his son, his only son, the one he loves, up to the mountain in trust and faith of God, knowing God's promise to him had already been, it would be through that son, Isaac, that the covenant would be maintained. Not understanding how that could possibly happen, but trusting the Lord who had brought him through so much. He was willing to sacrifice his only son. God didn't require it. But what was required is an emptying of self and all the hopes and dreams that he had had and his expectations. And in doing so, he gained an even greater love and understanding of God. That humility is expressed then also in the book of Job. After God reveals himself to Job, doesn't answer a single one of his questions, just says, were you there when I created all this stuff? Do you understand all these things that go on around you? Which is to say, Job, to answer your question of why you suffer would require you to understand everything that has gone before, even back to the beginning of creation. And Job's response was, I repent in dust and ashes. Because before I had heard, but now I've seen. It's a humility to come before God and say, you don't have to answer my questions. I'm going to trust you anyway, in spite of all that I see and hear and think I know. I'm going to trust that you're God and that you're great and that you're good. It's that little prayer that I used to pray as, as a kid. We would pray when we had dinner. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him. Hold his food by his hand. We all are fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Two concepts, God is great and God is good. Those things don't have to go together. But in a Christian mind, they have to go together all the time. All things work together for good, Paul. 
promises for all those who are called according to his purposes. So there's this humility, but, but then there's one place that you see it more than anywhere else. What's odd is in Numbers 12, Moses, I mean, not Moses, um, Aaron and Miriam come against Moses. They spoke against him because of the Cushite woman whom he had married after the death of his wife, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And this is amazing. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. I want you to think about that for a second. Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. That, that's an extraordinary statement. Do you know who wrote that? Moses. Moses. And it's true because you have to embrace what it means to be humble. You have to take that to yourself. And so what happened was the Lord broke out against them, particularly Miriam. She ended up with a leprosy. And we'll talk more about leprosy another time. But, but it's not the leprosy that we know today is something called Hansen's disease. And so Miriam was called with Moses, her brother, and Aaron, her other brother, and said, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then he left and then Miriam was leprous. And so, the it you know, hey, I've been there. I pastored a church and I've had people come out and speak against me. Oh my gosh, what I wouldn't have given to have had the Lord strike them with this leprosy upon that moment. I would have thought, perfect. That's exactly what should happen. It proved who is who. But he didn't do that. And you know why? Because of what I just said. I would think that's perfect. Because you know what Moses did? He immediately pleaded with the Lord for her to take that away. Moses didn't defend himself against the people. When the people would come against Moses, Moses didn't stand and argue with the people. When he did, when he let his anger vent and went and struck the rock after God had told him to speak to the rock, when he got angry with the people and threw them under the bus before the Lord, that's why Moses couldn't enter the promised land. Every other time, Moses went to the Lord. And when God wanted to throw the people under the bus after the sin at, uh, with the golden calf, Moses went and offered himself as a sacrifice, an atonement for them. By the fact, he had no part in that. But he went and offered himself in that way and then begged the Lord not to abandon his people, not to destroy his people. That's humility. That even when people sin against you, you plead their case, not yours. There, there are other things, though, that go along with humility. And, and this is the takeaway that I want you to have. So it, it's Jesus died for us. That was the greatest act of humility ever 
that's ever happened in the world. He gave himself as a ransom for many. The Lord's people have always been characterized by one thing, and it's odd that Passover and, and um, um, Easter kind of coincide very closely in time this year. And they always do, but, but I've been thinking more about them both. And so the people of the Lord in the Old Testament are those who will have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Cutting up the Lamb, taking its blood and pasting it on the doorposts and the lentils and the floor, exactly the way God told them to, which would be in the form of a cross. They were redeemed by the blood of the lamb because they were obedient to the Lord's command to do that. They were redeemed when he passed over the land of Egypt and the firstborn of Egypt died that day. But his people were redeemed by obedience and the blood of the lamb. We sing things about the blood of the lamb all the time. We too are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. But who is this lamb? It's the one who in Revelation 5, after Revelation 4 has been this extraordinary praise of the one seated on the throne, there's a scroll and no one is able to take it because they're not righteous enough to take it from the one seated on the throne. One chapter after that um, worship of the one on the throne. And then... John, the revelator, begins to cry, and an angel says to him, stop crying, get up, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And then he looks, he says, and beheld a lamb looking like it was slain before the throne. And then the lamb goes and takes that scroll. And when the lamb takes the scroll, all heaven begins to worship the lamb in the same way that it worship the one on the throne one chapter before that. So those who are redeemed are the Lord's people. You have to be redeemed. Just being born, just sucking air on the planet isn't enough. You have to be redeemed. And you have to re be redeemed by faith. When they put the blood on the doorpost, they did it in obedience, but they did it in faith, believing that whatever was coming next would not hit them in the same way that it hit Egypt. And so two chapters later, after the scrolls given to the Lamb, and he opens the seals on the scrolls, in the first six. Then it says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And remember this, that a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Ezekiel 37 with the dry bones. And what uh, uh, Ezekiel was, was commanded to do was prophesy to the winds to come from the four corners of the earth. And you'll see those right here again. And they're commanded to stop and not blow. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun to the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God's on their foreheads. And then I heard the number of those sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Judah, 12,000 from each tribe. So the redeemed of the Lord, according to Passover, are shown right here. They're sealed. So we get the Jewish redeemed. And then what happens, it says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation 
belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're waving palm branches and ascribing worship to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Judaism finds several characteristics of humility. And I want to share those with you. And I want you to reflect on those during the course of this week. We're going to do another podcast on Thursday, another one on Friday, and another one on Easter as we celebrate. But here are the basics. Okay, so the first thing is that, that the, one of the essential characteristics of humility is to choose to identify with others. So Jesus was in the form of God, Paul says, but then he chose to humble himself and take on the form of a servant. And then he was being formed, found in the form of a man. He identified with others by laying aside his equality with God and becoming like those who are creatures of God. In the same way that Moses, who had been raised in the palace in Egypt, chose to identify with his Jewish brethren and went out and tried to save them first by his own power and then later when God sent him. And always in the wilderness, except for the one occasion, he identified with the people. He understood God, identified with him, but then before the, he represented the Lord to them and them to the Lord. And he pleaded their case. So choosing to identify with others, that's first. And then the, the second thing is he went out. He didn't just identify with others in his mind. He went out to them, extended himself on their behalf, took risks. Moses, when he went out and identified with the Jews and against the Egyptian taskmaster went out. He chose at that moment, whatever the cost may be for this, I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to lay aside my kingship that could be mine. The next thing is, you believe in the message and not the messenger. Moses didn't have any trust and faith in himself. Remember before the Lord in uh, the beginning of Exodus, he says, I'm, I can't do that. I'm not capable. They won't accept me. They will not do. And then when God gave him the confidence in the son and then Aaron too, he, he went. He didn't have any confidence in himself. He knew that about himself. So, so he chose to identify with others and he chose to do so really. Not just in theory, not just in his mind. He didn't just pray for him. He went just like Nehemiah did. So he went out and then he believed not in himself, but he believed in the message. It's not about self-promotion. It's about helping others, teaching others, and raising them up. It's about the mission that God had given him to do. And then the next thing is, is that we see is not only do it, does humility mean identifying with others, going out to others, extending yourself on their behalf. Not only does it mean it believe in the message, not the messenger. The next thing is Moses observed the burden of his brothers and he took that on himself. He, he, was, he had empathy. And that's a key to everything. And then, so he sees it all. He chose to identify with them rather than to identify with Pharaoh. He went to them. He believed in the message of God. He empathized with them. Their pain was his pain. But then he turned around and he saw there was nobody else. And he recognized that he had a responsibility. And that's all those things are what Jesus did. You'll see these in the notes. I'll give you the list down in the notes. But Jesus identified with others. And the other was us, humanity. 
And then he didn't just pray for us to the Father. He didn't just go to the Father and say these things. No, he came to us. And all along the way, no matter what he was offered, no matter how much they wanted to make him king, any of those kinds of things, anywhere along the way, no, it's not about me. It's about the glory of the Father. And that's why when Paul writes in Philippians, he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He ends that with to the glory of God the Father. His mission was to glorify the Father. He believed not in himself. He believed in the message. He empathized with us. We saw that at the grave of Lazarus, at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept. Our pain was his pain. He empathized with us. And that's the, why the writer of Hebrews says, you don't have a great high priest who's never gone through these things. You have one who's come and been among you. And then there was no other. And that's what that Revelation 5 passage says. There was no one who could take the scroll. Jesus knew from all eternity that no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was worthy to take that scroll. He had to do it. And the way to do it was to lay down his life for his friends. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The exciting thing is we have an opportunity this day and every day to begin that day, this day, every day by exalting him and putting him on the throne and saying, yes, Hosanna, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us begin every day with that truth. Thank you for listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Again, I'm John Green. I'm the host of Faith Seeking Understanding. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and I would appreciate any comments you might have for this if you do that on Facebook or if you do it at here below in the, in the comment section below the podcast. I hope you have a blessed Holy Week. I'll be praying for each and every one of you, and I'll be with you again on Thursday as we look at what happens the night of the Last Supper and the betrayal by Judas in the garden.